Hi folks, it's Dr. Christine Sauer here with the Sparkles for Mental Health podcast. It's all about growth in five dimensions. And today I'm extremely excited to have a new friend, Di Manuel, on my podcast and video show. And he'll be talking about, why don't you tell the topic? Oh, <laughs> well, I, you know, Christine, it's wonderful to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to connect with you and your audience. And, uh, you know, my intentions are always pretty simple. It's uh, to, to inspire, motivate and educate and always do it in a fun and engaging way. So uh, after listening to a number of your episodes, I know that that aligns very much with your show. So uh, Absolutely. it's great to be here. And, and you know, listen, I'm, I'm uh, like most people when we look at change in our lives. Often it comes and it's not invited, <laughs> but it's a guarantee and it's going to happen. The Buddha 2,600 years ago said, hey, you know what? There's nothing that we know for certain other than nothing stays the same. And, uh, you know, 2,500 years later, science caught up and said, whoa, Buddha was right. You know, everything is in a state of change. And I, I think once we start to accept change or at least try to have a, a, a healthier relationship with change, we can sort of move from victim of change to more of a champion of change or an advocate for change as it appears in our own lives. And uh, I, I'm a movie buff, as you can see behind me. I've got a lot of original artworks and uh, uh, kind of nerdy. I love my sci-fi. Uh, but Indiana Jones, a, a great movie from the early 80s with Harrison Ford. There's an opening scene in the movie where he's running with this idol out of this big cave and there's this massive boulder chasing him. And, you know, he's doing his darndest to try to outrun this massive, massive boulder that obviously weighs multiple tons. And I look at that scene and I always think, wow, that's how a lot of us experience change in our lives. Change is the boulder and we're running, trying to get away from it. And so today I'm happy to have a conversation about change and how to have a healthier relationship with it. Well, that's really cool. I love the fun that you bring in and the relation to Buddha, because I always say when people say there's two things true in life, yeah, death and taxes. I don't know. It's not true. Taxes is not not true. You can avoid it. You go to jail, but you can avoid it. Yes, you can. But yes, you can. There's a second thing. And as you mentioned, it's change. So I'm very excited to talk about change. Wonderful. Because as you said, everybody has change in their life. I sure do. The changes that helped us help me to grow. So let's tell our listeners what prompted you to do what you are doing now today. Well, you know, if I go back to just my, my early childhood, uh, you know, my, the first big significant change that came to me feeling like that boulder was when my parents separated and divorced when I was uh, between the ages of nine to 11. So there was a couple of year period there as I was, you know, prepubescent male, you know, living in uh, Eastern Ontario, so outside of Toronto. And, you know, my life to that point was really positive. I, I mean, I really didn't have any hardship. Uh, you know, I had very loving parents. They were there to provide for us and make us feel safe. My brother and I, who was younger than me. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, at age nine, when they dropped that bomb on us, uh, my world was rocked. You know, and, and again, I'm going to date myself. I'm 46 now. So I grew up uh, in the 80s and uh, at least those formative years. And back then, when we think about resources and access to resources, like just resources around divorce or separation, and especially for kids going through that, uh, you know, there's one other kid in my class of 30 classmates that didn't have his original parents still together. So I was clearly a minority. Uh, there was a heavily stigmatized opinion around that. Uh, and, you know, we didn't have the internet. 
I, I, as I tell my kids, I'm older than Google. So uh, there you go. And, uh, you know, my, my, so there wasn't any resources. So it, it was challenging time for me. And uh, as such, I started to self-medicate. And what I mean by that is I, I found very quickly that I can influence the way I felt emotionally and psychologically by playing certain video games, watching certain movies, and most importantly, eating certain types of foods. And it's not like I was sitting around saying, oh, more salad, please. Uh, <laughs> I was eating very nu nutrition, poor food, yet high calorie. And that was uh, my, my go-to for about five years. And by age 14, I was morbidly obese. And, uh, and, and I don't need to dive into the psychology of how I felt at that point. Most people know there's a lot of uh, stigmas and cliches that we attach to people in that state of unhealth. And they're real. You know, I, I was depressed. Uh, I dealt with a lot of social anxiety. And also I had a lot of suicidal ideations. Uh, and, you know, it was tough. I was I was a teenager, right? I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. And, and most importantly, I wasn't sure why I, I was feeling that way. Yet I realized my habits were definitely leaning into that. And, uh, you know, by age 15, I just had an awakening. And, and that's the easiest way to say it. I was looking at myself in the mirror one day sobbing uncontrollably, wishing that I wasn't there. And this clarity came to me in the moment where I was just like, you know what, by age 20, in another five years, if I don't make any changes, I'm not going to feel as good as I feel right now. And I don't feel very good right now. And it was in that moment, I made a decision, I want to get healthy. Now, I had no idea how to do it, Christine. I had zero idea. I, I didn't, I wasn't from someone from sport. I, I didn't ever practice any fitness or do any activities. Uh, I also had parents that weren't super active that way. So they weren't great role models and modeling certain behaviors lifestyle wise. Uh, so I was really starting from zero. And, uh, but that didn't scare me. You know, what scared me was the idea of not changing. You know, that, I was more scared of that outcome than the idea of, okay, this is scary. I don't know what to do. I know it's going to be a lot of change, but I'm more excited. And I think that's less fearful. <laughs> and so I got to work. Uh, it took me five years to put all the weight on. It took me 20 months to take all the weight off. So uh, that was my first real experience with change. And that influenced me to today, you know, 46 now, 30 years later, uh, I just support people with managing change. You know, I really love what you do, and that's a nice story. Yeah. I myself was morbidly overweight, but so I definitely know what it feels mm. at 325 uh. pounds, not being able to go up the steps without Ugh. getting totally out of breath. It is fun. So hard. And I like when you uh, talk about fear versus excitement, because I think it is really up to the person how mm. they frame an experience. Yes. In the end, uh, looking from a brain perspective, it's the same. Yes. <laughs> Just here we are taught to run from, which doesn't help, and excitement we are going towards too. Because mm -hmm. when you are public speaking, and now you're a prolific public speaker, and we can talk about that because I love doing that too. And most people, the statistics say, people are more afraid of public speaking than of dying. Come on, mm -hmm. that's ridiculous. Get excited. Yeah. People want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> and if you get stuck, well, so be it. The world is not ending. <laughs> I did. Even though sometimes it feels like it, right? You know, when you're up there and you're on the stage and you know you, you draw that blank. I did. When I was 15 in physics class. I was called to the blackboard. I was very shy. I knew the answers to the question it was easy. I couldn't say a word. Wow. Oh. Oh. The world didn't end. That's I'm right. I'm looking at you now. So you're a young hopeful compared with me. Oh. So tell me about. But is your opinion why so many people in this world 
when they see themselves in the mirror and they're maybe just like you were. Mm. And instead of using that as a wake-up call to change, mm. they say, oh, well, I can't make, do nothing about it. Mm. Well, I think there's a lot of factors that play into that. You know, we, we can get into this whole nurture versus nature conversation. Uh, but I think both definitely play into that place uh, of how we see the world, but more importantly, see our role in the world. And when we look at also our influences, you know, whether that's coming from TV or mass media, social media, even our own local communities, uh, you know, if we look at the people that are feeding into our mindset and our perspective, that often tends to influence how we look at ourselves. And, and so we have to start to question, what are the inputs? You know, why do I feel this way about myself? Why do I continue to come back to this sensation, this feeling, these, these negative emotions? And because until we acknowledge sort of what's causing that or what's adding to it, if you will, what's adding fuel to that fire, it's really hard to start to navigate change because it, it may feel very overwhelming. You know, it's that uh, idea of analysis paralysis, right? Too many choices, too many options. Because, I mean, I, I look at people today, they go on Google and you can type any one question in and you'll get a myriad of answers. And, and it's almost overwhelming to think, well, which one's accurate? Which one's correct for me? And, and so because we live in an instant gratification culture now, you know, where Amazon Prime, same day delivery. Well, if I don't get this next two hours, my goodness, oh no. You know, it's, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Right. And, and so I, I think what's very important is to start to guard the inputs and then start to feed ourselves with the types of inputs that allow us to start to expand that perspective, but also start to see ourselves a little bit differently and also see what's possible, especially change. And I know that was very, very important for me at age 15. And then again, at age 34, because I had sort of switched from food. And then at 17, 18, based on my sphere of influence, I, I started to drink. And I realized my social anxiety didn't feel so bad if I had a couple drinks. And so all of a sudden I started to associate being somebody different, being someone more extroverted, but it was requiring alcohol. And that was a very slippery slope, which, you know, carried forward for almost 17 years of my life. And, and during that period, I had built an eight figure a year business. You know, I wed my wife. I'd had two kids. So from the outside looking into most people, they thought, wow, guy's got a great life, great family. He's got everything together. <laughs> but on the inside, and as far as my weekend life was concerned, I was a mess. And, and so I, I'm just letting people know this, even though we might navigate a big change and life starts to get better, you'll be surprised at what happens when you shake that life tree. You know, things fall out of it and you start to realize, oh boy, maybe there's some other work I need to do. And, and fortunately for me, you know, I found a great psychologist. I started to work with a therapist and, and I went all in on that inner work versus the extrinsic type work, you know, because I was always so focused on the outside and what people perceived of me rather than saying, well, how do I see myself? And I think that's where that mirror really comes in. I mean, it's that reflection of who you are, but you have to be open to seeing everything about yourself. And that is a scary thing at times. And that's why I always recommend find a professional to work with someone like yourself, Dr. Christine, you know, it's a prime example. It's like connect with you to have the deeper conversation so you can have a safe container to start to explore those inner workings and start to make the changes that we want, right? So yeah, that's that's sort of a, a long answer to your very short question. You know, <laughs> I, I really love long answers, and that's why yeah. I asked short questions. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, for men, 
you're very animated and uh, talk a lot about emotions. Now, mm. there's a lot of men that don't want to do that. They feel they come over as vulnerable. How do you see that topic? Well, I, I did a TEDx talk on it 18 months ago, all about vulnerability. And only because it was something that I knew I had a really negative attachment to. I, I saw vulnerability as a weakness. You know, I saw it as something that you don't show. Like real men don't cry, you know, so many cliches, right? And and I believe that because that's also when I look at my upbringing and I look at the main male role models that were modeling certain habits and behaviors, that was the opinion that they held. And and so but by no chance but my own, I, I was in that situation. And so that was the same perspective I picked up. And, and I started to realize I really struggled at asking for help because I also saw that as a weakness because asking for help is basically a form of vulnerability. We're, we're saying, I don't know. I need someone to help me. And, and that is just one level of that. Even, you know, I often tell people, especially men, I'm like, hey, have you ever been out on a date? Oh, you're married. That means you probably, you were able to get one date at least. And then you got future dates. I'm like, that's an act of vulnerability, you know, going up to that woman that gives you those butterflies in the stomach and the, the stars in the eyes and, and to be able to say, hey, would you like to go for a coffee? You know, like, that is an act of vulnerability. And, and when we think about it, it is so critical in almost every part of our lives to some de degree. And, and if we have a really negative emotion towards vulnerability and we avoid it altogether, we tend to internalize a lot of things. And that can become quite toxic because, you know, over time, it becomes overwhelming. At least that's what it was for me. And that's why drinking was so good, because it allowed me a momentary relief from all those inner feelings. It just gave me a moment to pause. Now, now I know there's a lot of other people out there that might use pornography. They might use uh, drugs. You know, they might use shopping or eating. There's lots of ways that we form different types of escapes. And uh, when you start to understand how the brain is wired and some of those chemicals that are floating around like dopamine and serotonin and, and even adrenaline for some, right? Uh, we start to realize that they do influence our emotions and we can biohack our way either positively or negatively. Unfortunately, it's often more towards the negative, isn't it? So um, yeah, those are just a couple of my thoughts on that. But I'm curious, what about your thoughts? What do you think on that? I, I love that because you're, you're so right. When, when you say vulnerability and asking for help is vulnerability, mm. and it totally mm. is. And having been a health professional and worked as a physician, mm. and I was in a state that I was depressed and I knew I really needed help, but mm. I nearly killed myself before I asked for help. And that's how I ended up myself in a mental hospital because I tried to kill myself. And thankfully, I found the help that I needed then. But that's how bad it can get. And yes. if you're vulnerable, it helps. And asking for help, and I always say, it's not a sign that you're weak. It's the opposite. It's a sign of courage. Yes. Oh, well said. Well said. And really what it is, is when you're afraid of something, and you mm -hmm. say that, and, and you're afraid of asking your girlfriend or your the, the girl you have a crush on, yes. well, are you go with me? Well, come <laughs> you're scared of it. It's a fear. Mm -hmm. And avoidance of fear is is bad unless it's running from a tiger. Maybe that makes yeah. sense. But if it's asking out the girlfriend, when mm. you stand do it, whether she says yes or no, you develop courage. Correct. And to train your brain next time to be more courageous gets easier. That's right. And I love the way you you say that. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Maybe you're talking about girlfriends. You found your wife. <laughs> 
how did you find her? <laughs> yeah, I've been dating my wife for 23 years now. And uh, that's how long you made. Yeah, yeah, long time, long time. And, you know, we met, uh, I, I was sort of at a crossroads in my life at that point. I was doing very well professionally, but on the personal side, I, I felt that I was really sort of adrift at sea, if you will, you know, without any sort of firm land underneath me when it came to relationships. And uh, I had had a lot of short-term relationships, but nothing truly significant. And and so I know I was looking, I, I was wanting to find that person, you know, and uh, I happened to be visiting my brother who was a, a shift manager at a local restaurant here in Vancouver where I live. And, uh, and I remember seeing this redhead walk by me and I was like, whoa, who is that? You know, and I'm a, I've got a, a soft spot for the tinge of ginge, if you know what I mean. So uh, I just saw this beautiful woman. And I was just like, wow. And I remember telling my brother, I was like, man, who is that? And he started telling me about it. And I was like, and anyways, long story short, my brother made the introduction and, you know, things progressed from there over time. I mean, we had a lot of ups and downs and some of those ups were shared. Some of the downs were more caused by me, uh, especially my inability to be vulnerable and to express how I was feeling. And, and I think an important note for everybody listening to this, you know, human beings, we're emotional human beings. We're not human beings being emotional, okay? <laughs> like we we are, that's just part of who we are. We're sentient beings. And, and as such- Emotions rule us, yes, Emotions rule us primarily. We can right. train, you know, train it out a lot, but they still do. They do, they do. And, and I mean, sure, we, I, I understand stoicism and, and I can appreciate this idea of trying to be the martial artist and mm, Zen Buddha, you know, like really calming the mind. And, and I think there's wonderful benefit to being able to start to distance ourselves or create a bit of a buffer between action and reaction. And that just takes practice. It takes time. And there's lots of cool things that we can do to start to build up that buffer. So we're less reactionary and more actionary. And uh, fortunately for me, my wife had the patience because she saw potential in me that I even on my worst days couldn't see in myself, you know, even on my best days, I couldn't see it, but she always saw that in me. And, and similar to the mirror, remember we talked about the mirror earlier. Well, I think mirrors are great, but also, you know, the reflection you get off the eyes of your closest and most important person in your life, like my wife, you know, that was the mirror for me. Uh, during that period, that very tumultuous period of my life. And, and I'm very grateful for that. She stuck it out, you know, and, uh, you know, things have been great. We still have areas for improvement. Oh, my goodness, of course. But we're very different people now, you know, 23 years in. That's why I'm very selective and intentional with the language. You know, I'm dating my wife still. But why? Because we're very different people than we were when we met 23 years ago. There's been a lot of life. You still date and yeah. you still yeah. work towards keeping that relationship alive. I think that's right. an important part for any long-term relationship. If not, both partners don't work mm. together and on themselves to yes. keep that alive. It will fail. And Agreed. there's no relationship that lasts a while that has no ups and downs or does not have conflict in it. Mm. There is. I'm married this year. It will be 25 years to my oh. second husband. Congratulations. And he always says, Living with you, I deserve a medal of bravery, he <laughs> And I says, yes, you do. But so do I. So do you. That's right. <laughs> so in, Lo in, in Nova Scotia, we have a, a chocolate manufacturing piece mm -hmm. by chocolate. He doesn't know it yet, but I've talked to Haddad before. Tori uh, Haddad is quite famous, actually. Piece by chocolate. What an idea. So Beautiful. I want him, 
I don't know if he can do it. I haven't asked him yet. Uh, make that medal for November. Two medals oh. of bravery. Oh. Peace in a relationship, you know? Yes. I love By that. chocolate. Oh, I, well, it, you had that chocolate. <laughs> I want to see that. Yeah, that would be. Chocolate, dark chocolate is good for your brain. Yes, it is. That's right. Chocolate, I'm a big fan of like 90% cacao or more, you know, and I also use cacao nibs and uh, raw cacao nibs in my smoothies every morning because of the Yeah, you can use the taste benefits. and then you love it. You yeah, can train exactly. your brain to like the foods or love the foods that love you back. Yes. So Damon always says, and he's right. Now, I so, always, I also like when you said that your wife is like the mirror that she mm. helps for you. And you know, as coaches, we do the same with other people that maybe mm. not have a partner that does it for them. Right. We hold we hold the mirror in their face and we hold it up and we say, look, that's how you know. And here is how you could be. Yes. And yes. then we hold them towards that higher image of themselves. Mm -hmm. They're pulled towards it. That's wonderful. Isn't that awesome? It is. It really is. You know, it's a very rewarding and fulfilling career path, you know, but, but I look at everybody, everyone's got that in them to support somebody, you know, right. and, and whether it be local community or coaching your local team or volunteering at your church, you know, like whatever it may be, there's opportunities to be that for someone else. And I think when you start to do that, like, I know when I'm supporting others, I learn so much. I learn so much about myself. Uh, so I often joke that it's it's kind of at times I feel selfish that I that I coach and I mentor people because it gives me so much fulfillment. I'm like I'm doing this because I like it, you know. And uh, but but it is a very uh, mutually beneficial arrangement, of course. But uh, there, we we get so much value from it ourselves when we're really aligned passionately and value wise uh, with the things that we do every day, especially things that remunerate us, right? I mean that, that's really the icky guy, right? Like the, the the Japanese philosophy, trying to figure out what do we do well, what provides value to the world and, and, and what is something that we find is relatively easy for us to do that we just love and trying to measure all that together right yeah I, I love coaching too I was a doctor and I loved advising and I'm telling people what mm -hmm. they should do but they didn't do it most of the time as you know when you tell yeah. a person just lose weight well doctors tell you diet and exercise which yeah. doesn't help nothing to lose weight I, I talk always about the four pillar you need the mindset to it which nobody's yes teaches you really besides us of uh, course coaches mm. <laughs> and you need the support well what's mm. better than a coach for support because we are usually non-judgmental but very supportive and a little bit asking too and you train people in fitness too or you do fitness because i've seen your ripped abdomen so tell us about that part what do you do for work every day <laughs> well you know I, I i myself i am my own product of my own teachings you know as we always say you know do you walk the talk right and and i do realize that there's a lot of individuals that may feel out of alignment when that comes down to the real bottom line you know like i, I tend to work with a lot of men but i work with women too but majority men and it's usually people that are looking to make changes but they are often very successful in multiple areas of their life so it's not like they don't feel like they're successful it's just when they think about the harmony between the different areas that make us who we are they feel out of whack they feel like they're underperforming. Um, so as a prime example, I work with a lot of CEOs, founders, high level executives, you know, people that perform at a very, very high level professionally, except on the personal side, outside of the work hours, they feel like they're not performing very well, maybe as fathers, as partners, 
you know, as community leaders. And, and especially their own health is usually a big factor into that. Mental health, physical health, emotional health, and spiritual health. And, and those factors are not harmonized. And so where I come in is I support them with creating the harmony and, and also optimizing things so they start to feel much more successful in all those areas. Um, because I've been in the fitness and wellness industry for 28 years, helping people with fitness and nutrition and mindset. So I, I have a little bit of experience to be able to support them and help them navigate that quite well. So, and that's what I encourage everybody. Like, don't, don't think about just one area, like, but think about the one thing you can start doing that will impact all those areas. And I often find fitness is a wonderful way to start that process. You know, when you start to exercise your body, even getting out for a 30 minute walk every day. You know, that fresh air stimulates the mind, stimulates the cardiovascular and pulmonary systems. It also helps burn a few calories, gets the metabolism working a little bit better. And, and on top of that, it, it can be quite meditative. So there's a mental health benefit to it as well. So you can see how that one little habit could impact so many different areas in your life. And, and so that's what I tend to encourage people. Find that one thing to start with and get really consistent at doing that and see what happens, you know? Yeah. And nature is a great healer. I love mm, yes. it. Nothing better. It was snowing here in Nova Scotia yesterday, and mm. I went and walked our dog. Great exercise, by the way. Oh, our neighbors beautiful. think I'm crazy because I always emphasize muscle movement when I, because I want to activate extra muscles. I call yeah. it intentional, intuitive exercise. What yes. the heck? You don't have to run to the gym all the time. You can do it when you walk the dog, and the neighbors think you're crazy. Let them. Who cares? <laughs> it was snowing, softly snowing. And the neighbor said, isn't that terrible weather? I said, isn't it beautiful? Have you seen yes. snow? Have you felt the snowflakes on your skin? Just look at me. But it's okay. That, that's the difference between people. And, yes. and, and I love before you said, you called it interesting. It's one of my favorite words. Mm. Because you look at people and you say, hmm, isn't that interesting? Why are you doing that? <laughs> it's exactly it, right? And then yeah. I tell you, well, I never thought about it. <laughs> That's a problem, isn't it? It can be challenging, for sure. Uh, but, you know, there's always a way around. And it's just a matter of making a decision and taking action. But I find it's it's often that lack of clarity that creates lack of confidence. And when we don't feel confident, it's way easier to procrastinate and put something off than actually take the action, <laughs> you know? And, and so I often encourage people, you know, start with creating clarity build that natural confidence. So you procrastinate less and you take more action. And here's the cool thing. You start taking action. You start to feel more confident because you start to see some results happen that you were like, Oh, this feels good. Oh, I like this. I'm actually getting closer to that goal. Or as you said earlier, that vision, right. That we have for our higher self or that version of us that might be our healthiest version, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But that also, in turn, uh, will start to create more opportunities to find more clarity. And, and so it's sort of this nice and ebb and flow between clarity, confidence, action, confidence, clarity. And But we just have to embrace the process. And, and I think that's where people run short is they're not consistent or, or frequent enough with the commitment to the process. And, uh, you know, and, and then people will say, well, how long do I have to do this? I'm like, well, how long do you want to live? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, like. That's a good one. How long do I have to do this? Yeah. Uh, yeah the habit for a reason <laughs> exactly and, and and you know and i always like to remind people like i've been doing this so long for myself that it's it's a lifestyle now like it's it's just all subconscious programming like i don't even really think about it anymore it's just i get up and i do 
it's just like breathing. It's just, it's autonomous, right? Like it's just like part of that nervous system. It just does what it does to help the body function. And, and so I have certain habits that really are so ritualized that it's, it's just my life now. I don't think about it, you know? Yeah. It's like a book, Tiny Habits. He uh, has the example, brushing your teeth. You just don't think about it. You just do it. And it's the same for you probably exercise. And for me, we're with doing certain routines, like I love that morning thing where you get up and say it's a gorgeous day. It really helps. Yes. And yeah. how hard it is to get the clients to actually do it. Hmm. And then it becomes a habit, then it becomes a routine, and then you don't have to think about it anymore. Just like riding a bicycle, you don't forget it. That's I right. love it. So That's let right. me ask you, when you meet, say, a CEO or a manager mm -hmm. or something for the first time, what is the main reason they hire you? What's the main reason they come to you? What do they want? Well, it's it, it, a problem. Well, a lot of the times it's like I said before, they, they feel very, you know, that it's not a money thing. It's not a financial health thing. Financially, they're very healthy, but it's the other areas of life that they're not. Uh, and specifically around relationships, even with their children, if they have kids, uh, I find that that's always a sticking point. They're not appearing as the father that they would like to be. Um, but also, even as a partner for their spouses, you know, they're feeling like that, that they're failing. And I'm using their language, you know, and, and I always like to say, you know, it's not a matter of failing. It's just a matter of maybe you don't know what tools to use. Maybe you're under-resourced right now. You know, it's not a matter of failing. It's just you haven't figured out a better way to achieve the results that you want. And that's okay. Um, and, and so, you know, coming to me, I, I take more of a mentorship than a coaching approach. Because I tend to work with people that I already am very similar to. You know, we tend to attract people like ourselves anyways. Um, but those that know my story, know my background, uh, professionally, I've had tremendous success and, and that's fine. But I was that person that did great from the outside looking in professionally. But then personally, I really felt like a failure. You know, I did. I've, I've been there and I know how overwhelming and, and how challenging that can be on our mental health. And it's a slippery slope, you know, once we start to erode that piece, we, we can regress quite quickly, especially from a physical health standpoint, a mental health standpoint. So it's just a matter of building some some habits and some routines in place. Um, but also I leverage a lot of life coaching and, and neural change. Um, I, I'm a neural change practitioner. So I also support with the rewiring of the brain and, and reframing of how we perceive the world and our role in it. And uh, and so those are all fun little things that I like to do. But the only way you ever figure that out is you just got to have a conversation, you know, and just sort of figure out where are we at and are we a fit? And then we go from there. There we are going. So somebody that listens to the podcast or watches a video and says, wow, this guy, he has quite something going for him. I would like to talk with him. Can they find you? What can they do to have that conversation? Well, I'm most active on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Those are my three preferred platforms. So I usually find that between those three, pretty much everybody's got at least one of them. And I always say, just reach out to me. I'm very easy to find because I have such a unique name. Dai is a Welsh name for David. So Dai, D-A-I. And then Manuel, a Portuguese last name. And as I tell everybody, Dai Manuel, don't worry about it. I'm just Canadian, okay? So it's, uh... <laughs> but if you, get to... <laughs> if you can type my name in, you'll find me and just shoot me a note. We'll have a conversation, see where it goes from there, you know? And, and at the very least, uh, my website's got about 1,800 blog posts on it. I've been uh, writing articles now for 15 years 
all geared around everything that you and I have talked about today, Christine. And uh, I also published a book a number of years ago called The Whole Life Fitness Manifesto. So people that are more driven to do things on their own, more do it yourself, and you're motivated and you're very committed to that, the book is, is going to assist you with everything that we've talked about today. So I, I've looked at it and it looks pretty nice. Thank now, Guy, thank you so much for being a, a guest on the podcast. I am impressed with your expression. Uh, you don't see many men like that. So I think you're really special. Thanks so much. And you have achieved a lot. I always talk about five dimensional wellness. And I think the harmony is everything. And you mentioned that. I love it. Thank you. So thank you very much again for being on the show. Oh, and before we go, I just want to say thank you and just express my gratitude to you. Uh, I know that creating this type of content and this type of platform to serve the masses takes a lot of energy, commitment, and, and diligence. And I just want to say thank you for doing that to, to allow us all the other parts of the audience to be flies on the wall to listen in on these conversations because they are so impactful. And uh Thank you. Just keep doing it because it's it's truly inspiring. Thank you so much, Di. That was very kind of you to say that. And that was another episode of the show Sparkles for Mental Health. And I hope it made you sparkle. And uh, a person that sparkles is defined as somebody that has a spring in the step and a sparkle in the eye because they are happy. <laughs> and don't miss the next episode. And make sure to subscribe to the channel or subscribe to the podcast on your platform of your choice. Bye-bye.